Hello and welcome to episode three of the Global Credit Union podcast. I'm Greg Newman, Director of Communications for World Council of Credit Unions. If you work in compliance at a credit union or you advocate on behalf of credit unions at any level of government, you know that standard setters and regulators never sleep. That said, this summer seems to be even busier than usual for the professionals with World Council's International Advocacy Team, with the G20 discussing the importance of financial inclusion and other international standard setters focusing on the operational resilience of financial institutions, specifically when it comes to digital cybersecurity. So what does all that mean for credit unions? Andy Price, Senior Vice President of International Advocacy, is my guest this month to talk about why those issues are of particular concern for World Council and how he's working with our members to make sure the credit unions we represent are treated proportionally on those issues. We'll also discuss the issues credit unions still face due to COVID-19, what's new with payments regulations, and the rise of sustainable finance. It's an episode you don't want to miss. My interview with Andy Price next on the Global Credit Union Podcast. Andy Price, World Council, Senior Vice President of International Advocacy. Thanks for being here. I know you're a busy guy. Oh, thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. You know, I know that always, as I mentioned in the introduction, uh, always international advocacy has about, you know, 10 things going on at any one time. But it seems like it's an it's an especially busy time for you and your team right now. Yeah, it really, I, I think I think 10 is an understatement on the issues <laughs> that we're working on. And, and certainly the, the pandemic has um, uh, created all kinds of uh, issues that we're trying to work through and help credit unions um, uh, make work their way through. It's, it's a troubling time, but um, uh, I'm, I'm really happy with the response that I've seen from credit unions so far. So. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the issues that I know you're focused on right now, um, the G20. Um, and a lot of people might say, what do credit unions have to do with the G20? You're advocating to them right now to have some prioritization of proportionality. What does that mean and how does it relate to financial inclusion? Yeah, I think that's it's a, it's a great question. And, and it's a, good, a lot of people ask, what does the G20 have to do with anything financial um, related. So so let me just touch on that real quickly. You know, uh, a lot of the international standard setters like the Basel Committee, Financial Stability Board, uh, Financial Action Task Force on, on AML, CFT, Bank Secrecy Act issues, those standards that come out, um, they, they are international organizations. They, they The people that run them are often the central banks or the finance ministers from the respective um, uh, countries uh, that are, and there's there's other every every agency is a little bit different. They all have different uh, constituencies involved in that. Um, but since they are international organizations, they take their direction and their their agendas and issues that they focus on from the G20. When they get together every year, they put out a leader's declaration, uh, and that tells them kind of issues that they want them to uh, uh, focus on. Um, and, and so a, a lot of the, the topics that we're going to Come through today. That that agenda and how they're approaching them is 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 addressed by the G20 this year. It's headed up by the Italian presidency, and they're going to have a meeting in October and come out with their uh, leaders' declaration that will give direction um, uh, to those agencies as when they're setting their standards. So, uh, kind of getting back to your question on proportionality and financial inclusion. You know what's the international standard setters have really done a good job over the past couple of years. We've seen in the leaders' declaration uh, items directing 
directing them to focus on financial inclusion, uh, ex, uh, um, uh, financial inclusion, and and to uh, you know make sure that financial exclusion is not occurring. And, and so um, the international standards editors have really done a good job so far of of adopting that, and they're putting that into their uh, standards. Financial Action Task Force has, has done a really nice job on it. You see their standards coming out. It, it calls for a risk-based approach and and for uh, proportional tailoring. The, the problem that we see, though, is that even, even though the international standards are coming out with proportionality in there, when those standards reach the national level, national level regulators often have uh, difficulty uh, understanding what does that mean, proportional tailoring. They're often hesitant to, you know, they, they may view it as watering down the standard or providing an exception for credit unions. And, and that's not what we're sure. asking them to do. Uh, we, we really want them to tailor it for the size, risk, and complexity of credit unions and to contemplate their cooperative model, which is different from what a large bank operating on an international basis. And, and that's really contrary to what the direction that the G20 is giving on financial inclusion. So getting them to understand that connection between proportionality and how it relates to financial inclusion is really important and we're looking to give them have them give direction to the international standards to work on that with national level regulators uh, on that issue right so what are you seeking specifically from the g20 italian presidency going forward on behalf of credit unions i know you've worked with our members on this what are you trying to yeah, achieve so, with so that? so two two issues one we would like to see direction in the leaders declaration that comes out to the international standard setters uh, specifically to help them give guidance to national level regulators on proportionality, but also to help them have that dialogue with them uh, so that they engage um, uh, with the proportional tailoring uh, that needs to get on. What we've seen now on financial inclusion is kind of a focus on digitization as a solution. And, and by the way, that's great. We, we, we support a lot of that because it's important to our industry. Uh, but it's only part of the solution. You know, the, the better solution is to do proportional tailoring that allows, you know, community-based institutions that are there on the ground to help them serve um, uh, underserved communities. We can do a much better job of that, but we can't do it uh, if the compliance costs are too high or if rules that allow a credit union, a cooperative depository institution to operate are not uh, adopted. So we're, we're seeking specific language in the leader's declaration on that to be given to the international standard setters. When you look at COVID-19, did that raise the specter of this? In other words, it, did that make it more important that the G20 firmly address this, firmly make a statement on the importance of prioritizing financial inclusion? Yeah, it really did. I mean, what we saw in the pandemic is obviously increased pressure to digitize, um, you know, to provide services online remotely uh, to deal with the health crisis as well. So we have seen that the problem uh, that we're seeing is, you know, digitization, if it's not done right, uh, can really lead to new forms of, of exclusion and make access to finance more unequal or, or, or even worse, it allows unsavory participants uh, into the market, uh, you know, a, a predatory lender or, uh, uh, you know, someone who doesn't really care about, you know, the overall indebtedness and well-being of a a person. So if, if it's if it's not done right, we can really see the increase in the divides between the have and have nots and 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 who's participating in that market. So you know again proportionality is what's going to allow responsible actors, community-based um, 
uh, entities such as credit unions uh, to be able to operate and embrace that digitization. Um, uh, but, but that doesn't occur. Uh, proportionality is really the key to allowing that to happen because it allows us to operate uh, in that field. It does not mean watered down standards, by the way. It means appropriate standards uh, for our institution. So You mentioned uh, digitization kind of being that thing that's accelerating financial services, but it's also uh, perhaps the danger of it is causing that divide. When we talk about digitization, the other thing that comes to my mind is all of these cyber attacks that we're seeing, uh, you know, and it's not just in the financial services industry, obviously, but we've seen so many this year across the globe here in the US as well. And there's a lot of focus right now on digital operational resilience, isn't there? I know in the EU, DORA has come out, it's going to have a big regulatory impact on financial service institutions like credit unions, isn't it? Oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and operational resilience in and of itself is a, is a big word. It covers a lot of uh, uh, issues, but it's really kind of aimed at a, a financial institution being able to prepare for uh, uh, in, any kind of disruption that might occur that might, you know, disrupt its operations um, uh, that can come out there. If you think, of, you know, a disaster, a pandemic, your disaster planning that falls under operational re resilience, uh, a market crash, but but cyber incidents, obviously, uh, in this day and age is, uh, they're becoming more sophisticated, more, um, um, more rampant. Um, and, and it's uh, uh, definitely an evolving uh, area. And so you're seeing a lot of focus on um, uh, what's coming out on that. The second thing is, um, you know, the Basel committee, I mean, they've always been focused on this issue. So I'm not saying this is a new issue that they're addressing now. But they just released their revised um, principle, principles on operational resilience. And there's a companion uh, uh, principles for the sound management of operational risk that goes along with that. They're, they're kind of companion uh, documents now. So now you have a, a, a standard that's been updated and revised. And so you see a lot of national level regulators looking at those principles and standards and revising what, what's going on. And particularly they got to implement it in the context of um, uh, cybersecurity. You know, the, the good news for WOKU is we, we were active in coming in on that uh, proposal as it was being developed. And, and once again, Basel Committee included really good language on taking a risk-based approach and, and uh, including direction on proportionality. The, the challenge for, for credit unions comes back to the same thing. It's the implementation at the national level and getting regulators to appropriately tailor those rules for credit unions. With cybersecurity, you know, the regulators often tend to get conservative. They don't want anything bad to happen on their watch. And, and I, I get that. And I'm, we totally support them thinking through these issues and whatnot. But when you hedge against every risk, you can, you can see how that quickly gets, um, it can get expensive and create a lot of rules and regulations for credit unions that they may not need, particularly they're thinking through these issues for, you know, larger banks. And what you need to have happen is to really focus on proportionally tailoring. Let us address those risks that exist in the credit union, but not have to hedge against every conceivable thing that might happen, um, uh, you know, that, that a larger bank may have the resources to deal with. In, in the EU, they are working, you mentioned DORA, it's Digital Operational Resilience Act, which they're looking to harmonize the rules across the EU. Uh, which, which is okay so long as they include proportionality in that. In the EU, 
a lot of the, although there were the EUs that apply to, to everyone across the board, a, a lot of the prudential regulation resides at the national level still for credit unions. Sure. We would rather see a system that allows, you know, the operational resilience component to be dealt with at the national level where they know credit unions and understand them. And they already have rule books there. Uh, you don't you don't want them to get sucked up again into rules that are um, designed for larger banks that are you know operating on a cross border basis where credit unions are not. Um, so it, it, we're advocating for proportional treatment of them within that framework or allow it to uh, occur at the national level. That's kind of what's going on there. But again, they're trying to comply with the new. Uh, standards that come out and deal with all these uh, cyber threats. So, so that's the EU, and the EU we know is generally ahead of the game a lot of times when it comes to these issues. I'm thinking about things like GDPR, uh, kind of establishing that standard that others have copied. So, where are other countries? Where are other regions in dealing with this? Yeah, we're we're frankly seeing this around the world again. The, you know, the 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 Basel standard out there gives uh, regulators kind of a you know a direction on where they need to go. Uh, in the U.S., I, I've seen a ton of regulatory guidance come out um, uh, on this issue. Uh, and particularly, I think I just saw guidance come out on oversight of third-party relationships. The NCUA uh, is asking Congress to have direct supervisory authority over third parties, uh, which they don't currently have right now, although some of your other bank regulators do. You, I mean, that's going on in Asia, uh, very advanced in the cyber area. So you see a lot of regulations coming down and um, and, and that area as well. I, I frankly see everybody around the world going through this process of updating uh, their operational resilience in large part to deal with a lot of the new emerging and technology issues. So, Yeah, so why do credit union systems need to get a handle on this? Regulators can impose a lot of, uh, you know, crazy regulations that, you know, may make sense for a large bank, but not tailored for um, uh, uh, credit unions. Um, you know, you know, secondly, I, I think this is going to be an ongoing issue for a long time. These these threats are going to evolve and emerge. You know, credit unions kind of need to to do their risk risk assessments. They need to update them, you know, kind of on a regular basis to figure out um, what they need to do. But what that more importantly, what that allows you to do is have that conversation with your regulator as to, hey, look, this is what's going to be appropriate for our credit union. We know what we're talking about. We've done our risk assessment. We've done our homework. This is what we need. And don't let them, you know, kind of uh, make you spend a lot of money on some obscure risk and, and you know, have to buy a technology solution that may not make sense for your uh, credit use. I think it'll make things go a lot easier on them. Uh, advocacy at the end of the day. So a lot of times the regulators don't understand the credit union model or how we operate or the risks on our balance sheet. So a lot of times it's, it's an educational process as well with them as well. And is that where Woku comes in in this issue? I mean, you, you mentioned the fact that this is becoming something in multiple regions and countries that, um, you know, standard setters are looking at or regulators are looking at. So what is Woku doing to help, especially some of the smaller credit unions? Yeah, we, um, so a lot of things, I mean, I consult regularly with a lot of our member uh, associations who are working on rules at the national level. A lot of times we can provide them with kind of the international experience, what we're seeing from uh, uh, other countries, we do that as well. We help them kind of interpret what's come out from the international standard setters uh, on this. Uh, a, a lot of times I spend a lot of time explaining to them that look, proportionality is built into the international standard setters. You can tailor these regulations for what's appropriate for credit unions. I spend a lot of time educating regulators on doing 
just that. I think the most important thing that we've done is we've done already. We 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 help advocate to get proportionality built into the standard uh, because that lets you tailor it for the size, risk, and complexity uh, of the institution. You know, it's interesting. We talk so much. You talk so much about proportionality, and and I think people might it might cause people to glaze over a little bit. But I think we're hearing here why. We keep harping on that because there's really nothing that it doesn't touch. That issue is is something that we have to think about at World Council in just about every circumstance. Absolutely. It's uh, uh, if you look on our website, <laughs> proportionality is splattered all over <laughs> just about it's, <laughs> it's sure in is. every comment letter that I that I put out there. But it's 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 important for credit unions because it, it helps them to uh, fulfill their mission and, and operate uh, in a way that they're intended to operate. Something that you earmarked early in uh, 2021, and you talked about something that that we're going to be keeping an eye on is sustainable finance. And with the U.S. back in the Paris Climate Accords, I know the chair of the National Credit Union Administration here in the U.S. is talking about sustainable finance. Uh, this might be an issue that still people at a lot of credit unions aren't talking about or aren't thinking about. But this is something that is emerging and. First, what does that term mean and what does it entail, especially for credit unions? Yeah, again, it's, a, it's an evolving area uh, uh, around the world. The U.S. has now come back into the uh, Paris Agreement. And so it, it, what you now have is the financial sector grappling with uh, how, how do they do their, uh, how, how do we participate in our role as far as meeting, uh, you know, climate related uh, goals? How does that get reflected into the financial services um, uh, uh, industry. And so uh, it, it is a, once again, the um, uh, international standards setters have direction from the G20 on how to, to work on this. It's a big focus of the Financial Stability Board, the Basel Committee, uh, the accounting standards are all being revised on this. Uh, really kind of the way I, there, there's kind of three large um, buckets, if you will, of areas that it will, it will affect. Um, and number one, I mean, kind of regulations on investments, where what products can your credit union invest in uh, that are designed to to meet, uh, you know, climate related goals that are that our respective countries have uh, agreed to. And, and the best example I can kind of quickly give you on that is the Basel Committee is actually issuing green bonds that their member central banks can invest in, uh, you know, that are designed to uh, meet climate related goals. So. I, I think there will be a, a, a swath of regulations on, you know, what financial institutions can invest in and, and what type of products are there going to be out there that can that are, you know, green related, helping you to meet uh, climate goals as well. Uh, the second area, big area, I think, is going to be a lot of discussion around the regulation of products. Uh, think think eco labels on a on a loan product, a green mortgage, if you will, a green loan. What does that mean if, if, if I'm going to market it that way? What, what does that loan have to do or, or, or how does it work so that it's meeting uh, uh, climate goals? If, if I call it a green mortgage, uh, you know, I'm going to get it whacked for that being misleading if it doesn't meet certain goals. How, how, is that, how is that going to work? Third area is kind of, you know, disclosures, reporting that you may have to do. How are you going to reflect the risks of climate change on your balance sheet? Do you have to account for that? What is the standard? How do I account for that? All of those things are being worked on by the International Standard. The Financial Stability Board is working on it. The, the IASB, International Accounting uh, Standards Board, is working on the reporting standards for disclosing that. 
and how, how you reflect that on your balance sheet. Uh, and, and then finally, there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of work being done on small and medium sized kind of corporations and credit unions may fall within that uh, uh, bucket or not. Um, but uh, how are they going to, how are they going to do the analyses on this and or is there a simplified way they can um, uh, do that as well. That's an area we're going to be focused on. That's kind of really the proportionality um, uh, piece of that as well. So a lot of areas that might be affected by uh, financial institutions trying to meet climate related goals. Very complicated, very tricky. Yeah. Uh, and a lot changing in that area. You know, and I don't know anyone in the credit union industry, especially our members that aren't interested in, in making sure that climate change is mitigated and doing what you can. But you just run off that list. And, the, and I just think that sounds like a lot of regulation and potentially very burdensome regulation, especially for smaller institutions. So, you know, you mentioned some of it, but what is Woku? doing to advocate for credit unions on this? Yeah, I, I, I can say it again quickly, proportionality, right? It, it's, have, it's having appropriate regulations for the, you know, it's, it's interesting when it comes to sustainable finance, because I mean, I think everybody uh, kind of realizes it's going to be more regulations, change in regulations. And I mean, it's it's reality, climate change that we're, I mean, the, the, the entire world I see kind of uh, embracing it. And, and you know, frankly, it's, it's interesting because what I often hear from credit unions is, you know, they kind of hear the regulation, but then they also say, well, what, what can I do to help? How can I help? Uh, you know, we, we, we want to be helpful to the environment and meet climate goals. What else can I do on that? And so that's an interesting question that you don't often hear when you talk about regulatory burden. But I, I think a lot of people see a bigger picture here and they're they're like well what can i do on this issue and so i think there's also an opportunity here for credit unions to kind of take the lead on that you know uh, you know the marketing product the green look can i offer a green mortgage to my member a lot of their members especially younger ones are asking for these products they want to know what they can do to help out and so i think there's a, an opportunity here for credit unions to kind of be on the cutting edge take a lead on this and and perhaps even better as that can help shape the the regulations that are coming down if if we are innovators in, in the market. We're talking about evolving areas. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about payments. Uh, there's so many changes coming in this area. Can you give us a thumbnail sketch of, of some of the efforts by the international standard setters in the area of payments right now? Yeah, again, as a, G, a focus of the G20, given direction to the Financial Stability Board, they have, I think they're on their third roadmap now of, of how changes might occur. The direction that they've been given is to focus on, uh, let me see if I can get this right, uh, faster, cheaper, uh, more transparent, more inclusive cross-border payments is, is, I think the terminology, I may have gotten that wrong. I may have left something out, but I think it's, uh, you know, faster, cheaper, more transparent. That seems to be the recurring you theme. You would know They're, better than me, so I'll trust they, you on that. Yeah, they, they are working on on uh, on large reforms, large reforms in this area. There's a lot of dialogue. Uh, I mean, that's, that's I think, going to be consumer-oriented. The reforms in the payment system with the, the development technology, your instant payments, Venmos, all those are out there how payments is going to occur, what are going to be the disclosures, what are going to be the dispute resolutions. It, it, it all requires really international cooperation, which is often difficult to do, but that's why you have entities like the Financial Stability Board out there to help with that coordination. And you're going to see a lot of transformative reforms coming down. It's already happening in the industry. I, I think that's going to occur 
on a, on a much quicker basis over the next five years, if you will, if I can give you a horizon on that. A lot of changes coming in that area. It, we could spend days talking about it. So. We'll close with this, but you mentioned at the top that COVID-19 and the pandemic has really impacted any number of items when it comes to standard setters, when it comes to national regulators. Um, and I know a lot of people here in the U.S., they may not think about it and they may not pay attention to it. I wrote a, a column for a, for a publication here in the U.S. just a few months ago about the fact that we are really back to normal, but it's going to be a year before a lot of the credit union systems in the world see normal. Um, so given that, how are the international standard setters reacting to COVID-19 now that it's this kind of uh, uneven playing field when it comes to how countries have responded and how vaccinated they are and, and how much they've been able to get back to normal? Yeah, we're, we're seeing a lot of uh, talk coming out uh, of the international standard setters right now. They're, they're, they're keenly uh, watching developments, looking, uh, you know, for uh, destabilizing effects uh, of that, and I would I would characterize them as in a monitoring mode right now. But we're also hearing them uh, start to have dialogue on. We've we've passed a lot of relief measures. There's been uh, capital relief. There's been accounting relief for IFRS nine uh, and and Cecil um, uh, relief relief for payment moratoriums, and then a lot of countries you know have had various levels of foreclosure moratoriums, collection moratoriums. Uh, all of those kind of a lot of relief measures related to COVID have been adopted. Now, the, now the issue we're hearing them start to talk about. We call they call they're calling it pandexit. How do we exit from the pandemic? How oh, are we no, going? No, not another one. <laughs> how, how, how are we going to withdraw these relief measures and do it in a way that doesn't, in an, in and of itself, create another shock to the financial system? Uh, and so Woku's advocating right now uh, for them to do it, A, in an orderly manner, two, to provide flexibility to national le level regulators so that they can, uh, you know, adjust to what's going on at their um, uh, country level. We know all countries, um, you know, status of the pandemic is, is, is different uh, across the world. The, the role of the vaccines has clearly been unequal around the rest of the world. We, you know, we don't know how everyone's going to come out of it or when they're going to come out of it. So we're advocating for uh, discretion at the national level, but also to allow a lot of flexibility and not do it in a quick and rapid way that makes the withdrawal of those measures a way that creates an unnecessary shock um, uh, uh, to the system as well. Uh, so, so that's out there. The, the international standard setters are looking at, um, you know, the guidance that they're going to put out to that. We're urging them to allow a lot of flexibility at the national level and to do it in a, um, a, a I want to say a humane. I don't want to say humane way. That may not be the right word, but in, in, in a sure. way that makes that makes sense and doesn't create any any kind of um, unnecessary um, burden for the credit union. It's better for them to err on the side of leaving the relief measures in longer rather than taking them off too quick. That may be a worse um, uh, solution than uh, leaving a relief measure in too long, in my opinion. So, Andy, you've given us a lot to uh, think about, a lot to uh, sort out. And I, I think for a lot of people who follow this stuff because they're in compliance, they probably learned something too. And those who didn't, um, I, who don't work in compliance and who don't work in in this area, I think they're realizing that um, a lot of what they do is very impacted by what's happening at these international standards setting bodies. Um, Andy, thanks. I, like I said, I know you're a busy guy. I appreciate you taking the time. And uh, boy, best of luck with, uh, with everything you've got going on. My pleasure, and thank you for having me.
Andy writes about all those issues and more on his Advocate blog, International Advocacy also puts out a monthly digital newsletter called The Telegraph, which highlights the most important international advocacy news items from each month and explains why they're important to your credit union. You can find links to The Telegraph and The Advocate blog at our website, woku.org. That's W-O-C-C-U dot O-R-G. Go there and hover over the International Advocacy tab to find both. And if you like what you heard today, you can find new episodes of the Global Credit Union podcast on the third Thursday of each month by going to woku.org. It's also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor FM, Overcast, and just about everywhere else you can get your podcasts. Until next month, I'm Greg Newman for the Global Credit Union podcast saying, remember to keep on serving your members.